Hi, this is Colin McCallan. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone out there. Greetings wherever and whenever you are. My name is Russell Hebbets, and I'm here with my partner, Colin McCallan, with another episode of Is This Legal? Hello. Today, we are going to be talking about the tragic death, the tragic killing of Elijah McLean. This happened back on August 24th, 2019. But it has been getting some new life, some new media exposure, because very recently there was an internal investigation commissioned by the city of Aurora that shed some additional light on the circumstances surrounding his death. But before we hop into that, Colin, tell us a little bit about Elijah McLean, the person. So Elijah McLean is a young 23-year-old African-American man. He is a uh, resident of Aurora, uh, Colorado. Um, He had never been in trouble before. He had no criminal history of any kind. Uh, He lived with his cousin uh, close to where uh, he died. Uh, He has been described by friends and family as a spiritual seeker, pacifist, oddball, vegetarian, athlete, and peacemaker who was exceedingly gentle. Uh, Apparently, he was an avid violin player. He also played guitar. That's notable uh, in the protests that came following his death. uh, There was a a, a violin tribute where a bunch of local musicians came and had a violin vigil uh, for Elijah. So by all accounts, uh, by, by the way, I think it's worth noting he's he was small in stature, not a tall man. He was 140 pounds, so his build was rather slight, and um, that's important just because of the manner in which he died, which, uh, Russ, I think you're going to talk about, but no doubt about it, use the word tragedy. This is this is a horrible tragedy that happened to these, this young man and, of course, his family. And it was very avoidable. So here, right. here's what happened. So he is walking at night in Aurora on August 24th of 2019. Someone called in. It was actually a 17-year-old who called in a suspicious person report. Right. So called the police, said, hey, there is a suspicious person. This is where that suspicious person is. Aurora police respond. They respond and find Elijah McLean walking. They try to speak to him, and Elijah McLean does not stop. They ask him to stop, and he doesn't stop walking. walking. Now, it's important to note, he didn't reach into his jacket. He didn't threaten them. He just basically said, I don't want to talk to you, and kept walking. Right. Okay? So he kept walking. Cops did not like this. They took him to the ground. There's three of them, by the way. Three police officers. They take him to the ground. They, as they have him on the ground, two separate times, they employ chokeholds on him. It's a carotid artery hold, where, which is a hold designed to uh, impede blood flow to the brain. Right. And it's important to note also, they have him handcuffed when he's on the ground. That's right. Yeah, that... <laughs> And that's after he's handcuffed, and and that's when they use this hold, 
which by the way is not a hold that is uh, in use any uh, anymore by pretty much most police agencies. You're not allowed to choke someone out if they're if you're detaining them. And, and that's part of the many many legal um, changes to police departments, really nationally, um, including Colorado, right. since since the George Floyd death, um, which we did do a podcast on. But so they take him down. Paramedics come. Paramedics are watching him interact with the police on the ground. For some time, they it's like then, fifteen minutes. They've they got him on the ground, and they're they claim that they're struggling with him while he's handcuffed, laying on the ground. But that's that's what's going on, that, at least according to them. Right. And again, this is disputed. There is right. some limited body cam footage and audio that we'll talk about. Um, but eventually, the paramedics inject him with ketamine. They inject him with ketamine because. The Aurora police officers ask them to because they say he is suffering from excited delirium. Ketamine is a sedative. Um, but what we're learning about ketamine, which has now since been banned as a sedative uh, for use in these situations since Elijah McClain's death, is that it really can it, it can have unpredictable effects on from one individual to another. Uh, you know, just based on a number of factors, physiology, and, and, every exactly. everything, and so they gave him an extremely large dose of ketamine, uh, way more than what would have been recommended for his size and weight. And and we'll and we'll get into that when right. we talk about the um the what the medics did and did not do correctly. Right. right. But so let's let's just get through the baseline sure. here, which is so they they inject him with ketamine, they transport him to the hospital. He has cardiac arrest. En route to the hospital. He arrives at the hospital. He is in a coma, and several days later, he is declared brain dead and taken off life support. One more thing of note: um, uh, the Aurora Police Department has their officers using body cameras in this case, and according to the officers, um, uh, there, as Russ said, there was limited body cam uh, cam footage that was recovered uh, from, I believe, one of the officers. The officers indicate that during the scuffle, their body cams basically got knocked off and deactivated. Uh, of course, uh, Elijah McLean's family and, and attorney are asserting that this is a cover-up, that uh, uh, the officers intentionally uh, withheld what they were doing from the view of the cameras because obviously it was criminal in nature. And, and we can tell you, as criminal defense attorneys, we see a lot of body cams. We do. These days, virtually every metro agency employs body cams, and we get those videos in every case. And I have seen multiple um, violent struggles with police, with police, with body cams. And in fact, Richard Brooks, who we did a podcast podcast on that, where he ended up dying. That was a very intense struggle. Um, right. An officer's taser got taken. We have body cam footage from all of that, right? And complete body cam footage. So it's tough. It's tough to buy the fact that three separate officers all had their body cams malfunction or knocked off largely during this altercation, and it was not some coordinated. At effort. a minimum, it's fishy. Uh, suspicious might be a better word for it, but. Um, I think we fish, don't see fishy works. <laughs> we don't see that happen. Usually, the only way an officer can deactivate their body cam is to physically turn it off, right, or disable or cover it in some it. way. Yeah, exactly, or cover it. Which, um, anyway, and and by the way, like the body cam 
info that we have is not consistent with what the police say. Police say this was a violent, intense struggle. The body cam footage that we do have shows, and you hear Elijah McClain apologizing. You hear him pleading for his his, life. He's saying, I can't breathe. He's repeating that over and over. It's very difficult to listen to. Um, So real quickly, uh, putting a bookend on the timeline. Um, the after uh, in the wake of Elijah's death, um, the Aurora Police Department, so this same agency that we're talking about, they conducted their own internal affairs investigation into this matter. They submitted that to the um, district attorney for Adams County, Colorado, which encompasses Aurora. His name is Dave Young. Uh, Dave Young in uh, late 2019 basically exonerated the three officers, says uh, there's no criminal wrongdoing here. This was a tragedy. Um, He based his decision largely, too, on the autopsy results, which determined that the cause of his death was inconclusive. Um, And and I'll tell you, like the this excited delirium that the officers say he was suffering from, that's characterized. We should define that for for the people out there. That's characterized by aggression, agitation, acute distress and really a high body temperature and sweating and Mm -hmm. profuse sweating. Um, it can it can include unexpected strength, and that's often associated with drug abuse, something like PCP. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I one of the officers notably uh, told the other officers, I think he's on something, and that in fact, I think he might have passed that information on to the paramedics. Um, I'm not aware of any uh, toxicology. Uh, that came back indicating that Elijah McClain was on anything. There's, um, there's nothing out there like that. And we would have heard that. But I think that was the assumption that they were making is that he, he somehow possessed some sort of abnormal strength. And they, they attributed that possibly to drug use, which apparently led them to use, ask a paramedics to use a sedative and deploy this chokehold. And, and so this, this excited delirium, Colin, that we're talking about, like that's something in, you can hear officer Chauvin in the George Floyd case while he's kneeling on George's neck. Right. He's talking about excited delirium. He's talking about this. This is something that happens like all cops know about this, like boogeyman excited delirium. Very little medical research has been done on this because it largely ends in a suspect dying before reaching the hospital. Okay. So this is something that cops know about and we don't know how legitimate this excited delirium is when it's actually happening, but it sure looks like from this case, Elijah McLean was not suffering from excited delirium. Right. Based on what we know. So, um, a little bit more, uh, kind of bringing us up to the present day. Uh, as Russ mentioned, there, you know, this, this death was covered by the media initially. I mean, people were following it, but media coverage on it just absolutely exploded, uh, in the wake of the George Floyd killing, uh, last spring in 2020. Um, there was obviously a, a lot of these deaths across the nation were getting a lot more attention as did this one. So, um, last summer in 2020, a lot more people started hearing about Elijah McClain. Again, there were a lot of protests. There was a big movement in Aurora, uh, protesting the actions of the Aurora police department and the paramedics involved in this case. Um, and, uh, in terms of where things are, uh, the Aurora police department eventually, uh, commissioned a three person panel 
to investigate this. Not the Aurora Police Department. I'm the sorry. Aurora City Council. Thank the you. city of Aurora. Thank you. Commission that. Because the right. police, the police department investigated internally. Right. Initially. Correct. Right. They and that's one of the things we're gonna talk about. So, but this what you're talking about, this three-person examination or board to investigate it, it was commissioned later by Aurora City Council, and it was an objective look at everything surrounding the case. And that that report, 157-page report, just came out this week. Yep, it came out uh, two days ago. So uh, that's why we're talking about this. Um, there are other pending investigations into this case. Um, uh, notably, the Colorado Attorney General, Phil Weiser, has impaneled a grand jury to investigate the actions of everyone involved. So a grand jury, of course, is a criminal body that's investigating whether or not there's probable cause to charge someone with a crime. And for anyone who is a fan of Hebbets and McKellen, uh, is this legal? We do have a grand jury uh, podcast out there. And for those who have listened to it, you know, if you impanel a grand jury and you want charges to be filed, they will get filed. They will get filed. Like, you, you can indict a ham sandwich. We'll see is- in this case, though. I mean, I, 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 I'd be very curious. I mean, when you have a coroner saying that a cause of death is undetermined, right? There, there is, that is a problem. I mean, that it, talk about reasonable doubt, right? And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really cutting to whether or not these cops are guilty of anything at the moment. Um, but there are, uh, unfortunately, due to missteps that have already taken place, uh, I think any chance of, of having any of these officers charged, that might face an uphill battle just because of the amount of investigation that's already been done. So one other investigation that's going on also is from at the federal level. Department of Justice is investigating this as a potential civil rights violation, right. which they are allowed to do as well. So, so, but going back to it, like internally, the investigation said no criminal liability. The 17th Judicial, Dave Young, the DA said, we're not going to charge these cops and they didn't get charged. Okay. So now they still have exposure at the state level from the AG at the federal level from the Department of Justice. But as of now, there's no pending criminal charges. Exactly. But so let's talk about this investigation, this impartial three-person board who investigated it. They basically came back with three main findings, and and we're going to go through each of those separately. Yeah. And the first... Colin is what? The first one is probably, well, I don't, they're, they're all, they're, they're let, all fairly, just, this report was scathing. I right. mean, it was brutal. It, <laughs> it, it, it basically took apart the actions of the police and the paramedics at every single level uh, that they right. interacted with McLean. So, um, you know, the, the, the report is appalling. It's horrible. It, it, it's almost, it shows things, it shows us, we already knew things were bad. It shows us just how bad they were. They were probably worse than what we all imagined. Anyway, first thing that's notable, there was no probable cause. There was no basis for these police officers to stop or detain Elijah McLean, Russ. And, and that is huge. So here's, for everyone out there, there, there's two standards we're talking about here right now. To do what's called an investigatory stop. So to stop someone and, and question right. them, you need something called reasonable suspicion. We all have constitutional rights to be free from illegal searches and seizures. That's a fourth amendment of the U.S. Constitution, and every state constitution has their own analogy to that. So you have... In order to stop you to question you about something, the cops had to have a reasonable belief that a crime had occurred 
was occurring or was going to be occurred. Remember, they got they got called out there for a suspicious uh, suspicious <laughs> suspicious person report. Third times a charm, Third times a charm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was no allegation of criminal wrongdoing. Um, once the officers got there, they were able to see that this man was not a threat. He was walking. He was walking home, and um, they went and contacted him. And you know, Russ, let's just talk about this for a second because let, let's. Let's assume for a moment that Elijah McClain knew what you were just talking about, okay? So he he knew what his rights were. He knows right. that he is under no obligation to stop and talk to the police if they want to talk to him. Um, and let's let's further assume that he knows, okay, I, I'm walking around. I haven't committed any crime. I, I'm, I haven't done anything that should warrant police scrutiny. So when an officer comes up to a person and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you for a minute, all right? Whether we've done anything wrong or not, we are conditioned to just stop and submit, right? We, we're gonna, we have an officer who wants to talk to us. Let me see your ID. We're probably going to take out our ID and show it to him. The police are not used to people who know their constitutional rights who might refuse to engage in that type of encounter. And, and frankly, the police do not know the constitutional rights like they should. Well, and they, and they certainly remember police officers in general, they, they have a tremendous amount of power and authority. Generally, they don't like it right. when a person ignores their order. And right. that's what happened here with Elijah. Right. How, how are you going to, how is a cop going to react if someone just ignores them? Right. Right. Cause Do you think they're just going to let Elijah walk down the road and say, Oh, okay, well have a, have a good night, sir. Right. Right. We <laughs> no. wanted to talk to this guy, but he's walking. So we're going to let him go. Throw, no. Throw in the fact that there's three cops, right? They're probably probably looking at each other like this guy just ignored us. Right. We're, that, that we're, we're not going to allow that. Right. And of course, because they, 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 they pursued him, the situation immediately got escalated. They felt like they needed to take him down. They felt like they needed to handcuff him. And, and so like from a, from a legal perspective, once they take him down, once they handcuff him, they have detained him. They have to have not just that reasonable suspicion that I talked about, right. they have to have probable, probable cause. cause. Yep. So an objective observer would say that this person is committing or has committed a crime now. It's not just a suspicion. Right. Once they handcuff him, that's, that's where they have to be. And they did not have it. So, so what do, so what's, what's your advice, Colin? You know, you're, you're, you're advising someone who is walking down the street. They haven't done anything wrong. The police want to talk to them. They don't want to talk to the police. You know, it, it's crazy that I, I have to almost mention this, but it, the answer to that question, Russ, almost depends on whether you're a white person or a person of color. And, and, that, and, that, and that sucks. That's a crappy answer that I have to give. But you know what? If, uh, you know, I, I, on the one hand, um, people should be relatively de-escalating whenever they have any sort of encounter with the police. And I don't care if it's a traffic ticket or something much more, if gun, you know, cops are breaking down your door, it, you are generally well advised to behave yourself and to follow orders that are given to you. Um, so, you know, it's easy for us to sit here uh, and, and armchair quarterback this and look, look back a year and a half ago and say, you know, maybe Elijah McClain should have just stopped and dealt with these guys, even though they were conducting an illegal detention of him. Maybe he would still be alive if he was more, if, if he didn't walk away. But at the same time, Russ, it, it bothers me that 
that we we live in a world where you can't, as a citizen, assert your knowledge to the police and say, I'm not I'm not talking to you. I'm going to continue on my way. You can't stop me. Uh, leave me alone. Right. Because I mean, that's what he was within his rights to do. Right. And, and generally, like my answer to that is you you assert your rights. You assert your rights because generally, you know, you're you're from my perspective, you're saying, okay, worst case scenario is not this. Worst case scenario is you get arrested and then I, as your attorney, can come to the judge right. and say, hey, judge, he got his rights violated. You need to throw this case out because this cop had no PC. He had no probable cause. He had no reasonable suspicion. He violated the law. And that's how it works. But, you know, unfortunately, I think you're right. This is this is the the crappy situation where the answer really probably does depend upon the color of your skin. Yeah, and you know, and and I in no way want to impart any sort of blame on Elijah McLean for what happened here. I'm not saying he should have stopped walking at all or that he should have acted differently. This was this was just a a horrible, unimaginable situation almost. And um so but yeah, that, that unfortunately we have to kind of unpack it. So, so let's talk. The second big finding from this panel was that the medics did not exercise due diligence. Okay. And, and here's, here's what we're talking about here. The medics were there and they were watching the interaction with the cops and Elijah. They did not ever evaluate him independently. Right. They, they, the cops said, we need to sedate him. We need to sedate him. So they sedated him. Right. They just took the cops. The, and by they, we're talking about the paramedics. They took the cops' words. They, they took the cops' word that they needed ketamine, and they injected him. Now, I don't know how the dose, the dose, you, you referenced this earlier, the dose of ketamine they gave was for a 190-pound man. Right. They gave him 500 milligrams of ketamine, which is apparently... Yeah, you just said it. It would be that would that would subdue a hundred and ninety pound man. Um, Elijah McLean again, hundred and forty pounds. So, so more he's than fifty pounds shy. Yeah, like like and, this is a big overdose for right. the size of Elijah McLean. And they never they never talked to him. They right. never they never took his vitals. Right. They never tried to see is he does he have a high body temperature? Is he maybe really experiencing this excited delirium? And 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 I just. That's something I keep going back to. You got three officers, Russ, on you know that are restraining this guy who's in handcuffs, who and is, who's one hundred and forty pounds, right? I, I, it, it just seems I, I'm unconvinced that they didn't have the wherewithal to spend more time evaluating the situation. It just feels like everything was rushed. Uh, decisions were made instantaneously and were not questioned. And, you know, one thing compounded on, on the next and, and here we are. You know, and let's say, like, to be fair, these, these exchanges, if it was violent or a struggle, they do unfold quickly. These things, and we are, we are asking these people, these responders to do a lot right. by making these spur of the moment reactions. And so, you know, there's, this is not black and white, right? You know, these guys, these guys are at a scene where maybe there was some sort of struggle. Now, maybe it was a struggle that didn't need to be a struggle because there were these chokeholds and, you know, Elijah's saying, I can't breathe. And if, if, if someone's choking me and I can't breathe, I'm going to sure going to struggle. That's right. You know, but you know, this, this did happen like to your point very, very quickly, but you still have these medics 
who are supposed to be trained for these situations. They're also, they're also supposed to be kind of acting independently from the police. They have different functions. They're not there to, to support a, the police. Right. They're not there working for the police. They're not, they don't take orders from the police. These people are tasked with caring uh, for the health care of the people that they encounter. Well, I mean, let me let me just hop on my soapbox just for a moment here, because that is exactly one of the police reforms. Like everyone out there who's listening has heard defund the police and everyone attributes a different meaning to that. The meaning I attribute it to it to that term is allocate resources differently. Like Denver right now has a unit. It's only one unit because it's very slowly funded. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a van that goes around and responds to things like mental health interventions where the police call them and say, hey, we have a homeless person who won't leave 7-Eleven and we don't want to deal with this. Can you come? And they come and then they handle it. Right. They have responded Something like, and it's only Monday through Friday during working hours is all they're funded for, and it's one unit. This is through the Denver Police Department you're talking about? Yeah, well, it's not even through Denver Police, right? It's an independent agency who responds to these at the behest of the police, and then the police leave. Not once have they required police intervention, and that's, that's the kind of funding that should be going into like, like police shouldn't be responding to mental health issues. They shouldn't be responding to alcoholics. They shouldn't be responding to homelessness. These should be outsourced so that police can worry about violent crimes. Okay. I'm, I'm going to step off my soapbox now for a minute. <laughs> okay. Hey, don't trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So the third major takeaway, and again, this is also fairly horrible. Uh, is is a discussion of how biased the Aurora Police Department internal investigation was in this case. Um, here's a direct quote from this report that just that 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 came out that's talking about this. The interviews conducted by major crime investigators failed to ask basic critical questions about the justification for the use of force necessary for any prosecutor to make a determination about whether the use of force was legally justified. Instead, the questions frequently appeared designed to elicit specific, exonerating, quote, magic language, unquote, found in police in-court rulings. So here is uh, here's an example with this. You know, you have internal affairs investigators who are investigating their own officers uh, after, Problem after, number after, one. After, after this uh, tragedy. Russ, will you engage in a little role, role playing with I, me? I would love to. I'm going to be the internal affairs investigator and you're going to be one of the officers who was investigated for Elijah McClain's death. Okay. I'm, I'm in character. Okay. Um, it, it's true, isn't it, Officer Woodyard? You thought that Elijah McClain had a weapon on him, right? Y- yes. Yes, I did think that. It, it's true, isn't it, Officer Woodyard, that when you were dealing with Mr. McClain, you were in fear for your life, right? I, I was in fear for my life. Okay. Yes. All right. It's true, sir. In your investigation, in, in your handling of the situation, uh, you, you know, you you felt that you had to do all of the actions that you did in this case, and 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 you would agree that you were acting on your best judgment at the time. I felt I had to do everything I did, and I I, I was using my best judgment. Folks, that's the type of BS that went into this investigation. It, 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 we're talking about leading questions, and Russ. Um, are police officers generally trained to use leading questions when they're investigating a crime? They, they are. You know what? They are always. They are always trained to use leading questions, but most of the time, 
It's the other way to get the person to, to, to admit, to admit things. Right. So this is, this is like, we've talked about this before. Police are like the detectives who investigated this, the major crimes unit, they are skilled interrogators. Right. These are detectives who have training, who have done they get this murderers before. to confess, right? They are trained to get incriminating statements out of people's mouths. That is what their goal is. This wasn't even a case where it was neutral. This wasn't a case of what happened. This was the opposite. This was putting words in and using leading questions to show- Exonerate. Yes. To show, hey, oh, this, this officer had no choice. They, they they were in fear for their life. They they had to do what they did. It is it is astounding that these this is the kind of investigation we've got transcripts on. by the way of these these reports this isn't my opinion or russ's opinion this is this commission's opinion where, where they actually you know actually published in the report uh sections of the interrogation showing how much in basically you're 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 telling these guys how to answer the questions and these are investigators these are major crimes investigators who are investigating a death they're right. investigating a death to see if it was a homicide and the the just sheer lack of any real investigation is just it's just tragic right. it really is and and it it really cuts to the bone of our our legal system in this in this case and and just just an interesting aside the investigator who was the first person who was the lead of this investigation internally he left the office and he's now chief of police down in Abilene Texas so Abilene, you know you have someone who watches out for your own <laughs> for the police. And the chief of police in Aurora retired two months after this incident. Right. Um, there's another huge story behind this story that I also want to talk about uh, that, again, is pretty horrible. Um, so in October of 2019, so this is about two months after Elijah McLean died, um, three other Aurora police officers, their names are Erica Marrero, Jaron Jones, and Kyle Dittrich, uh, were on patrol in, at, in, the, in the area of the memorial where Elijah McClain was killed. And these three officers posed for selfies reenacting the carotid chokehold maneuver that uh, Officer Jason Rosenblatt and Nathan Woodward u- Woodyard used on Elijah McClain that might have contributed to his death. They're taking photographs, they're smiling, they're laughing. They take these photos and they they send them to officers Woodyard and officers Rosenblatt. Again, Woodyard and Rosenblatt were directly involved in Elijah McClain's death or in, in the incident where he died. Um, Rosenblatt replied, ha ha, to the text. Woodyard did not reply at all. Um, the texts, again, these are sent in October of 19. They came to light in June of 2020. Uh, they were published. They were made available to the media. Um, you can see them online if you want to. They're pretty bad. Um, all three officers fired. Uh, I, I should say one of them, Jaron Jones, re- re- uh, resigned. Uh, Erica Marrero and Kyle Dittrich were fired for the taking of the selfies. Officer Rosenblatt, uh, he was on paid leave for the death of Elijah McClain. He hadn't been fired yet. He fired. He got fired for responding ha-ha to these texts. Yeah. Um, this blew up in the Denver media and kind of reignited interest all over again in both Elijah McClain's death 
and highlighting the just myriad of black eyes that the, the Aurora Police Department has been dealing with for the last two years. We, we, yeah. we did a whole podcast on this, by the way, um, a few months ago uh, in terms of police reform. And we used the Aurora Police Department as a model of how not to be, essentially, with all of the internal strife they've had. And it's astounding that, that they sent these things. It is just so callous and so... I mean, someone died. Right. You know, however he died, someone died, and here they are posing, laughing with a chokehold that may have contributed to his death. Yeah. The <laughs> the culture of the Aurora Police Department is broken. And by the way, it's not like these officers went down without a fight. Uh, so remember, uh, officers Marrero, Dittrich, and Rosenblatt are fired for these, this selfie uh, thing. Um, they all appealed their firings, and only about two weeks ago were their firings upheld. But, I mean, again, another reform. It is very, very difficult to terminate a police officer. Well, you still have two of the three who were involved in the original incident. They're still on the force. They're still on the force. Now, they're not public-facing. Right. And, and you know, honestly, they have not been found. It's sure, like, to, to use your phrase, sure smells fishy. There were certainly mistakes made. Um, but they haven't been proven guilty, but still it's, it's interesting. The whole thing stinks though, you know? Yeah, it I mean, does. It, well, and they're not, it's not like they're on paid leave. They're right. still, they're still working. Right. They're still, they're still employed. Um, so like that's, that's what's going on right now, folks. And, um, so we're gonna, we're gonna continue to watch this. I mean, like we said, there, there are, uh. Pending investigations with the feds and with the Colorado Attorney General. We're going to be watching that very closely. There is an ongoing civil suit, and um, we will continue to update. But uh, very, very sad story. Uh, but we, we absolutely felt like we wanted to talk about it and um, so hope now, you got something out of it. Uh, so let's, let's shift gears to something a bit lighter because it's been pretty heavy. Yeah. I think it's, it's now time for... C-O-T-W! The, the dumb criminal of the week. Yes. All right, we're keeping the international theme going this week with a story from Australia. There were two Welsh tourists who landed themselves in court in 2012 after they got drunk and stole, drumroll please, <laughs> A penguin named Dirk from SeaWorld in Australia. Yes, a penguin named Dirk. And by the way, if I ever own a penguin, I'm going to name him Dirk. Dirk, what a great name. That is a fantastic name for a penguin. Rice Owen Jones, 21 years old, and Carrie Mules, 20 years old, from South Wales, broke into the park on Queensland's Gold Coast. I mean, it's beautiful coast. They swam with the dolphins. <laughs> They let off a fire extinguisher in the shark enclosure, <laughs> and then they made off with poor Dirk. I, mean, I wonder if Dirk was hard to catch. Were they drunk? They were certainly drunk, and they woke up, and they woke up very hungover with the flightless bird in their apartment. <laughs> Dirk's okay? They tried their, quote, incompetent best, end quote, to, to care for him. They tried feeding him, and they put him in the shower like any hungover person would do. But ultimately, they realized they, couldn't, they did not know how to care for a flightless penguin. So 
They took him to a local canal. A canal? And well, that's water, right? Like, like a duck? I like feel, he's like he's a goose? I feel like most penguins live in canals. So I, I might have I don't know. I probably would have I would have taken him to like a supermarket freezer, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean they they could have tried sneaking him back into the zoo. They we'll know how like a duck. They, they already know how to get into the zoo. Here, go fly away. Oh, you can't. <laughs> So, so they released him into a canal, but were spotted by locals who called the police. A magistrate fined them 1000 Australian dollars each and told them to drink a little less vodka. Okay, all I want to know, what happened to Dirk? Dirk, it's a happy ending for Dirk. Oh, he got to see a little bit of the world, and he was returned <laughs> to SeaWorld unharmed. By, by so, the world, you mean a crappy <laughs> one-bedroom apartment in London. <laughs> he got to see the shower. At least he got, he got a shower. shower. <laughs> he got a nice shower. All right. Well, that, so, that's a good... Uh, that's a good... Oh, we, we got to rate yeah, this, don't Yeah, we? so for Rice and Carrie, how many Oof. knuckleheads Oof. for these guys? Man. You know, I, I honestly, I'm going to give them three. Okay. I feel like I f- they got in and out safely. Yep. They, in fact, not only so safely. So you're giving them credit for pulling off the, the, uh, the yes, theft. Yes. The kidnapping. The kidnapping. And I'm giving them credit for not injuring the bird. <laughs> Although it was their incompetent best, he was unharmed. He did get to see a bit of the Gold Coast, which, you know, is on everyone's probably bucket list. Right. So, I mean, uh, ultimately, I'm, I'm giving them three knuckleheads. I will give them a solid four, Russ. Um, I, 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 I feel like they should get credit for pulling off the heist, at least for <laughs> the heist of Dirk. <laughs> the heist of Dirk. Um, I'm hold, withholding the full five for not, uh, you know, maybe not re- returning him to a more appropriate climate yes. for a penguin. Like, like the freezer section of the supermarket. I guess you're in Australia, so there's probably not a lot of cold places. Maybe they were limited in terms of what they could do. Maybe it was a really cold canal. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, four, I'll give four knuckleheads. That's a total of seven knuckleheads for these guys, right? Three, three and a half not, average. Not so bad. Not, not too bad, guys. All right, Russ, you got anything else today? That's it for us. As always, hit us up on Twitter, Is This Legal Pod, on Facebook, Habits McCallan. Tell Alexa to play Is This Legal. She'll do it for you. She will. She may not like it, but she'll do it. Thanks, everyone. And until next time. Bye-bye.